Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. And so we're going to look at the Word of God this morning in 1 Peter. And there has been a particular thought that has occupied my thoughts this week. And there have been some contributing factors that have led to me addressing the topic that I want to speak about this morning, which, um, uh, you know, as I said, there's a few factors actually, but uh, specifically I was, um, we're doing a study on discipleship. And in doing a study on discipleship, we've been looking at the fact that we are being conformed into the image of Christ and uh, we're being looking at the flesh uh, versus the spirit and uh, warring against the spirit and so forth. And so um, we've been considering those uh, aspects and discussing them in depth throughout our Bible study. And then during the week, um, I was... uh, I went on to YouTube. Anyone ever been on to YouTube? And I was looking up a particular Christian artist that I hadn't listened to for a long time. His name was Don Francisco. Some may know him. And so, um, good old Don, yeah. Him, uh, him and uh, Keith Green were just scripture in song. They're just blessing, a wonderful, and uh, I could rave all day. And... But anyways, and so there was a particular song that came up on the feed when I spoke him up and I listened to it and so forth. And again, it just, it just brought into focus and then I felt a confirmation of what I was going to share this morning. And the thought of that song or the title of that song is called Holiness. Holiness. And the lyrics in the, in the chorus go, Holiness, holiness, it's the only life that the Lord can bless. Holiness, holiness. It's the Lord's command, not the Lord's request. Now think about those words. Holiness is the only life that God can bless. And it's the Lord's command, not a request. And that's important for us to understand as we approach this topic this morning and as we consider it in the Word of God. Because one, we want the blessing of God. And two, it is imperative that we are obeying the commands of the Scriptures as Christians, as as children of God. And so the point that I want to make this morning as we touch upon this uh, first up is that holiness is not an option for the Christian. It's not optional, but rather it is something that is mandated by God. It is something that is commanded and demanded by God. And I'm not talking about legalism this morning. I understand the dimensions of that, but let's put that aside. In its proper context, holiness has nothing to do with legalism. It has everything to do with Christ. And more than that, 
Um, uh, yes, it, 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 it is, uh, though it is mandatory, though it is commanded, though these are terms that we are applied when we talk about holiness in the scriptures, it is something that involves a choice because God, as we know, we have free choice. And so we can choose and we can incline our will to do the will of God. So in all of the commands of God, it always comes down to the fact is what, what choices are we going to make? That's inevitable. That's a reality. But the accent of the Christian life this morning is holiness. If there's something that is to characterize you and I as believers, as professors of Christ, as professors of a disciple, as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of Jesus, the distinction has to be an accent on holiness. How are people going to recognize that there's something different about us? It's not, and, and, and we'll define holiness a little later as well, just to bring a clarification to that. But nevertheless, it finds its expression, practically speaking, in the fact that we live differently. We act differently. We conduct ourselves differently than the world. And that accent doesn't mean that we're better than anybody. It's got nothing to do with that. It just means that, that we are not of this world. And that is what Peter has in mind in our text, as we'll look at, but also in other aspects of 1 Peter chapter 1 as well. Actually, I want to read in 1 Peter chapter 2, because he says in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, because that's what we are. We're passing through now. We are not of this world. That's why we are already in a position that we are holy unto God. And more so, we are sojourners, we are pilgrims. And he says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And that's the reality of the Christian life. There we, are, we are in a, a war. We are in a battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And this battle is real. And uh, so therefore, uh, it was, uh, I think it was A.W. Tozer that said it so wonderfully. He said, the world, is not a battle, uh, the world is not a playground, but a battleground for the Christian. And it's true in, in, in so many ways. And so we want to look at a life that is holy unto the Lord and a life that the Lord can bless. And so let's read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. Peter writes and he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges accordingly to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here, 
in fear. Conduct yourselves in the time of your stay here, because it's temporary, it's only passing, with fear. So let's consider the word of God this morning. Now, in stating, in reading that, does that sound like a request to you? <laughs> does Peter's comments sound like a request? No, he's quoting. And we know that he's quoting and he's drawing upon the Old Testament scriptures. He is drawing upon an Old Testament revelation of God, who he is, and his nature. And the emphasis being that God is holy. God is holy. And more than that, the clear instruction that we find in the Bible, the commands that relate not only to the Old Testament, but well into the New, as we're seeing right here, is the command to be holy because I am holy. That scripture is ringing not only to the children of Israel, and it's not something that's confined to the Old Testament, but it is something that is a revelation of the nature of God and those that are associated with him. That commandment applies both old and new. Be holy, for I am holy. You see, I've said before, and we make the point often, as we consider Israel in the Old Testament, and for good reason, because they are our, they, the things that are written concerning Israel that relate to their relationship to God, and what we learn from all of that teaches us. They're written for our admonition, for our instructions. Why? So that we don't make the same mistakes they, do, they did that we would learn from them and uh, unto, our, uh, 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 unto our own edification. But the truth is, is that so often we make the same mistakes, right? But the nation of Israel teaches us about holiness. It teaches us as a matter uh, of principle of what holiness fundamentally is, looking at the Hebrew especially uh, and gaining an insight to that. But there are some basic principles or two basic principles that apply to the word holiness as we know it in, in the English language. In the Hebrew understanding, in the Hebrew word and understanding, it comes from two, two root words. And the first one describes, uh, means pure, referring to something or someone or describing someone. And in this instance, that's clear, God is holy. Because God is pure. God is holy. So when we talk about holiness, we're talking about purity. God, unlike the human race, unlike all men, he is without sin. Perfect in all of his ways. But the other thought behind holiness as well as in the Hebrew describes and signifies holiness as in a situation. So in other words, it has a practical application. So it's not just a, uh, uh, in, in the essence <coughs> description of holiness, but also in its application. So that uh, and in a practical sense, it means the most holy, the most pure. Or in other words, we are, in life, we are to conduct ourselves uh, in the circumstances of life in a manner that that which is most holy and which is most pure, or in this instance, holiness or righteousness that is associated with these things. And so by looking at the nature of God, by understanding who God is, God is holy. Be holy because I am holy. And that's the commandment. That's the expectation. That's what Peter is bringing to our attention. 
And isn't it interesting when Peter says that God is holy, meaning that he is pure, so now we have to be holy in all of our conduct. And he's making the application of the two aspects of the word holiness, isn't he? One, God. Two, the practical application in terms of the circumstances and situations of life and how we live and conduct ourselves. So you'll note also that Peter, in his epistle, he is writing, obviously, to, um, to Jews, but he's also writing to believers. And it has to be understood in that context. He's writing to believers. And in doing so, in chapter 2 again, verse number 9, in writing to believers, he says these words, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Now this is a description that incorporates the church. But at the same time, we are acutely aware that this, this, this wording relates uh, exclusively into the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. And again, we're establishing Israel as an example for us as a believer. And so when you consider Israel this morning, and you consider that they, by God, were called a holy nation. They were called out by God. They were led out of Egypt, and in the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verse 3, God speaks to Moses, and he says, and says these words, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, we'll get to that later, and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God is saying to Israel, I have chosen you, I have separated you to myself, and now if you will, and in entering into a covenant with you, if you will heed it, if you will obey and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all. Israel is a holy nation. That doesn't mean that, 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 that when we look at them today, they look, they're, they're far from holiness, okay? But they're holy in the sense that they have been called by God and set apart for a purpose which will be fulfilled in its time, as we see in, in relation to the prophecies uh, of the Scripture. But there's this principle of a holy nation, chosen by God, delivered. But now we know in being set apart, that God's purpose and plan in bringing Israel out of Egypt was to lead them into, out of and into the promised land. And in doing so, God gave Israel uh, uh, specific instructions and what he was expecting from them. And so uh, they were to go in and what were they to do? They were to dispossess and destroy those nations that were, that were, had, uh, were occupying that land. Obviously, God says, I've given you the land. It was going to be the, the promised land, their possession, their inheritance. But also, the Bible says that they had corrupted themselves, those nations. They, had, they were unholy 
And they had corrupted themselves. Their ways were perverse. Sin had, had uh, uh, through their idolatry and uh, all of the sinful practices, God was bringing down his judgment upon those nations and executing it. And so God is saying, when I bring you into that land, he says, I want you to destroy all the idols. I want you to destroy the people. And, 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 I, you know, and so it's pretty graphic, isn't it? And he says, because you're a holy people. You have been set apart. You are mine. And so make sure that when you go into that land, you do not embrace what they embrace. You do not practice what they practice. You are to be holy and separated unto me. And that's the principle that he lays down. Now, again, this is not a request that God is making to Israel. This is a command. And in Leviticus, I'll read a couple, there's many more but we can refer to, but I'll illustrate it by these two in Leviticus 19, verse 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. There it is again, it's reiterated. It's, not, it's reiterated many a times. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I, am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So again, holiness has to do with the fact that he has chosen them and separated them. And two, then when they go into the land, they are to, to not uh, identify with their wicked practices, but rather the expectation is, is that I'm holy and you will be holy too. They're a holy nation. Now, in taking that principle of holiness in their position as a nation and in the practical uh, aspect of them possessing their land and how they were to live, we see how it operates for the Christian as well. Because isn't it interesting that Peter, when he quotes in chapter 2, verse 9, he is speaking to believers He's speaking, though it incorporates, in actual fact, it incorporates Jews and Gentiles in, 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 in both aspects. And obviously, uh, and he's making now the application, but you, the church, corporately and individually, as you and I made up, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so his own special people that you shall proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. And so, though it has an application to the Jew, there's no doubt about that, but it incorporates a greater aspect for us as the church. And so, again, I make the point, this is our position because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So in other words, we are in our position in Christ, regardless of any, it's not of works. The, the, the aspect of holiness is based upon Christ's finished work and we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And now in him we are blameless and we are holy and we stand before him in love. Now isn't that, isn't that a glorious reality? We're a holy nation. We are a holy people, the church. 
that has been cleansed and washed and justified before the Lord. But you see, in the same way that Israel was to practically live a holy life, so too the Christian, the child of God, is expected to live a holy life before the Lord and walk in such a way. And the scriptures are clear. Be holy, for I am holy. And this is what Peter's reiterating. He's reiterating an attribute of God. He's reiterating a universal attribute of God that he is pure and he's holy and his people must be holy because he is holy. It is very simple. It's very clear. Why should we be holy? Because God is holy. That's as deep as it goes theologically. Let me make the point for clarification. Holiness is not a precondition for our justification. We're justified by faith. But mark it down. It is recognised, holiness is recognised as a sure result of our justification. That we now, as children of God, being born again, we must live holy. And isn't it interesting because if you look at the context of what Peter's talking about this is exactly what he's and the point that he's making but we'll get to that in a minute I want to just emphasize further this issue of holiness in the to the church and to the believer if you can turn with me to a familiar portion of text in first um, second Corinthians chapter 6 second Corinthians chapter 6 and I want to read what is familiar to us, but I want to make the point. Because Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's emphasizing holiness. That's what he's doing. And so let's pick it up from verse 14. <clears throat> he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So this is the, the aspect of separation. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As it is said, or as God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, as a result of that principle, come out from among them and be separate. There's the principle of holiness, separation. <clears throat> come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord God Almighty. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, in light of that aspect of what God has said, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now note that, perfecting holiness this is let us cleanse ourselves. Now there's a human responsibility that is clearly being emphasised here. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit 
perfecting, that's the standard, aiming, that's what we're aiming at. Not that we're perfect, but perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, what is the, I mean, why are we to perfect holiness? Because Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? Who lives in us? The Holy Spirit. Uh, holy? <laughs> the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, the Holy Spirit will always, uh, uh, in, in, as He ministers Christ to us, as He leads us and directs us, He's always going to direct our steps to holiness, isn't He? In all the circumstances of life, holy, holy, holy. And so this is what uh, we must be mindful of as we are living the Christian life. So let's define holiness a little bit further because we can talk about it in its practical applications or, it, it, or in other words, it, its external aspect, which is relevant. But before, we, uh, as we look at those things, you must understand internally what holiness is first and foremost. Holiness, and I, the, 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 this... this, this um, uh, description has, has always remained with me. Holiness is likeness unto Christ. As simple as that. Because when you talk about all the external aspects and you make them the focus to the neglect of the fundamental foundation, then you fall into legalism. Okay? But primarily, holiness is likeness unto Christ. And yes, they didn't call, and then from that it all stems and finds its application in our lives. But this is why it is critically important. And this is why, what does the Bible tell us in Romans 8, verse uh, uh, 29? It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To predestined to what? Salvation? No. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what we're predestined for predestination for those, amen, that have believed on him, who are now being born again. We are uh, now being predestined by God to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, God says, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you like, like my son, that we would be like Christ. Isn't that why we're called Christians? <laughs> and so that's how holiness is best defined fundamentally. But let's come back because that principle, that foundation finds itself having a practical expression in our lives. How do we live before God? Well, let's look at what Peter says in our text. Because going back to 1 Peter, he says in our text, therefore, now again, when you see the word therefore, you've got to see what's it there for. And it's therefore the fact that Peter has been talking about in the previous verses that we have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven, eternally secure. Praise the Lord. Because we have been born again, uh, uh, as he would tell us, um, and we have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so in light of the fact that our inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled, he says this now, therefore. Therefore, in light of that fact, because of the promises of God, Paul writes on the same principle, because of, therefore. 
In light of this, live and be holy. That's what he says. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. You see, when we talk about practical Christian living, do you know where it starts? Right there, in the mind. It's what, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, what goes on in the mind, that's the, and it's again, the battlefield, the battleground of the mind. Because that's where the war wages, rages. This is where the battle is fiercely fought. And this is where you and I have to be aware of this. And so the issue of the mind is, is critical to this uh, aspect of holiness and living a holy life. And Peter's telling us to gird up the loins of your mind. I've said it before, what goes into your mind comes out in your life. What we think upon and what we think about will inevitably affect the way in which we live and the way in which we conduct ourselves. And so the, so the mind is, is, it's critically important that the mind is girded, that the mind is, is, is as we would say in the scriptures, is renewed. Because the mind, when we, when we get saved, our position is that we are washed, we're justified before God, we have peace with God, we're saved, praise the Lord. But you know what? That mind needs to be cleansed. You know, people say, um, you're brainwashed. Yes, that is exactly the business that we're in. We're into washing your brain. Because that's how it has to happen. Because if you're going to be holy, you have to have your mind transformed. You have to have your mind renewed. And this is a process. And this process takes place. And as we, uh, uh, as, we, as we meditate upon the Word of God, as we, as we have the Word of God go into us and we feed on it, then you can rest assured we will be changed and we will be transformed. I mean, let's face it, church, the mind can wander, can't it? I mean, some, again, we're all different in our personalities, but I mean, I can be sitting there, I'm there physically, but I'm not there mentally. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Pastor Warren's looking at me again going, that's not me. <laughs> I can get like that. I'm pretty weird, you know. And so my mind can space out because I'm thinking deeply about something. And uh, sometimes I can just tune out. But you see, uh, the, what goes on in our minds is critically important. And uh, let's be honest, the mind can drift. And if we're not exercising our self-control and we're not exercising a dominion of what's going on inside of our mind and that we can, amen, have power and dominion over sin and our thoughts, then inevitably our mind will wander and we can think upon things that we ought not to be thinking about. You can meditate upon things. You see, uh, there's a saying I once heard. It says you can't stop a bird flying over your head and dropping a piece of poop on your on your hair but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair yeah that's a good one isn't it I didn't make it up I heard it <laughs> but it's true you can't control the thoughts that sometimes enter your mind you know people have a thought and they feel condemned no no what's important is what you're going to do with that thought and so you can't stop the bird from flying over, uh, so to speak, but you can stop it from coming and nesting in your hair or in your mind. You, can, you have to learn to control the thoughts and your mind. 
and what you meditate upon and what you think about. Because as it said in our study that we looked at during the week, and you've all heard it before, garbage in, garbage out. Oh, and um, we were talking about this when we were being brutally honest. I'm not going to mention names. It's okay. Don't get nervous in the back. But in our Bible study, we were talking about things, and there are just some things that Christians shouldn't watch. There are just some things that you don't feed on. It's just some things that Christians just can't listen to. You know, what visually you see and what music you listen to is very, very important. Because you've got stuff coming in the eyes and in the ears and all that's going directly into the soul. What are you feeding upon? What kind of words are you listening to? What kind of images are we exposing ourselves to? And this is important. Because garbage in, garbage out. Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, he's telling us to get control of our thoughts. Get control of your thoughts and get your mind focused on that which is important and most noble. And so the idea that Paul is, I mean, sorry, that Peter is bringing to us is the, it's the idea of having to focus our minds, narrow your thinking, brace your thoughts. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you said, I'm just gathering my thoughts? Because you're meaning you're having to focus, you're girding your mind on a particular issue or topic or conversation or whatever the case may be. You're gathering your thoughts, you're tuning in, you're focusing. Gird up the loins of your mind. He uses the word gird. And I can only think of explaining it in two ways. And I'll mention women and men. But the word gird, it means to gird up the loins. The the loins are the midriff in our human body. Okay? (laughs) And so, you know, after women have children in the olden days, I don't know what they do now, but they used to have a, um, a girdle. A girdle, and a girdle, would, they were girding, girding the loins. Because, you know, they've had a few kids, and so they're not as you know, muscular as they used to be. And so, you know, you've got to gird up the loins. A girdle. That's the imagery. Or as a man, you know, after he gets a few years like me, he needs a belt. <laughs> you know, because the belly's popping out. I've got to gird up the loins. And so he says, now gird up the loins of your mind. That which is, you know, don't, you, can't, you can't just, you know, we can't just go out in public and, you know, if you saw the way, you know, I really look. You see, because we have to gird up the loins of our mind and we have to live and conduct ourselves in a manner that is appropriate. And so this is what Peter is saying. Gird up the loins of your mind. Brace them. Then he says these, this, be sober. Be sober-minded. Now, the idea, again, is that, um, I mean, what happens when, if, you, uh, uh, if you consume alcohol? You, is your mind girded when, you're, when you are uh, under the influence of alcohol? No. Your mind now begins to get a little unbraced, doesn't it? It starts to think in ways that you didn't think before. 
and people begin to talk and act in ways that they didn't before under the influence of alcohol. But then what you're seeing is really the real person anyway. You know, they're saying, oh, it wasn't really me, I was just drunk. No, that's you. We just, you just got to embrace the, the mind. We just saw who you really are, right? And so, but the point is, is be sober. So gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, so that your mind is sharp, focused and fixed. Because if we're not disciplined, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and sound mind, or that word is self-discipline. In other words, you have the ability to exercise control and dominion in your thoughts. And so gird up the loins of your mind. And so when we talk about holiness this morning and we talk about its outward aspects, it fundamentally we're starting with the fact of our mind. What is going into our mind? What's going on inside our head? And so Peter then says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the grace of God is the key to living a holy life. I'll say that again because there's a wonderful truth here. The grace of God is the key to living a holy life. If you're going to try and live holy in your own self-effort, you know, and just you're going to fall into the whole pit of Romans 7, what you will to do, that's what you're not going to do. You know, I'm going to, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And we'll, I'll, I'll illustrate it a little bit in a minute. But you see, the whole Christian life is lived out under the grace of God. Paul says, what, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, he says, you don't understand what grace is. He says, we're not under law, but we're under grace. In other words, sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, but under grace. And under grace, we have dominion over sin. We have power over sin. We can control our thoughts. And that's what happens uh, as for, for, as for Christians. They gain back a level of control and dominion in their thought life and their thinking. And so the grace of God is critical to this process, and I'm going to touch upon it a little bit further. But in verse 14, Paul, uh, Peter says, as obedient children, as obedient children, he says, do not conform yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. So in other words, don't conduct yourself like you had it used to live before you were a Christian or before you were you know, not living right before the Lord. He says, don't repeat those, those actions. Don't conduct yourself in that manner. But he says, as obedient children, as obedient children, you know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, and it was, this was our memory verse for our Bible study for the week. But um, uh, Paul writes, and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto God. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the, 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 our obedient aspect is to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. And then as we uh, uh, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that 
good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. And so, again, it's the renewing of the mind. It's the word of God that renews the mind and braces it and girds it up. But you see, as obedient children, establish your hearts in grace. So, so uh, he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. As obedient children. Now, let me say this. Obedience is not a dirty word. Obedience is not a dirty word. You know why the word obedience and submission is so irritating to the, to the flesh? Is because the flesh hates those words, doesn't it? The flesh hates obedience. The flesh hates submission. But you see, these are not dirty words when it comes to the Christian life and to the Christian vocabulary. Actually, they are foundational and they are fundamental. And so uh, obedience is, and, and this is uh, what Peter is, uh, is appealing to, as obedient children, don't be disobedient, but rather be obedient. Look, let's go back to Romans chapter 6, if you can, verse 15. Turn to the scriptures there. I want to read it for you. I want to make this point because Paul makes it so clear. In Romans 6, verse 15. We'll start from there. He says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? He says, Certainly not. Do you not know? Now listen to this. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. You're going to obey somebody just who you're going to obey and who you're going to disobey. But he says, verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were, you were slaves of sin, which we were once, slaves, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Amen. We become slaves of righteousness. We are obligated to live in righteousness and practice righteousness and holiness. He says in verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness. Listen, for holiness. That's the emphasis. Why? Why, do I, why am I a slave to righteousness? For holiness' sake, that you will be holy because he is holy. Now listen to this. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free. When you were a sinner and you knew not God, you were free to live in your sin. That's why when you know the truth and you don't live it, it messes you up. Okay? Because it's better not to know the truth than to know it and not live it. Because that will really mess your mind up. And so he says, uh, but also he says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. There was no obligation. You didn't know any better. You were blinded. You were ignorant. But he says, what fruit did you have, in verse 21, to those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, 
having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. What's the fruit? Holiness. Holiness is not works. Holiness is fruit to God. It incorporates righteousness. Yes, it is dependent upon your obedience. Paul's making it clear to you must obey, you're obligated, you are a slave to do what's right. There's no cutting us any slack. But understand the principle behind this, that holiness is not based upon your self-effort, it's not based upon, uh, it involves your choices, but it is, a, it is a fruit that you bear to God. You bear fruit unto holiness in our lives. It's a fruit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in us and he's working to produce in us a holy life. You see, the emphasis is clear again. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes and he says, um, he says these words, he says, um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always, listen, as you have always obeyed, He's, he's, he's commending them. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, now that I'm not there. It's not what we do when we're around everyone. It's what we do when we're, we're not around everyone. <laughs> okay, in my absence. He says, look, look at this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So again, it's a fruit. God is working. The Holy Spirit is teaching. The Holy Spirit is guiding us. And we are making the right choices. We are seeking to obey and submit to God. And we are bearing fruit to holiness. That's how it works. And that's what Paul is telling us. In, uh, in Hebrews 12, uh, it talks about God's discipline upon his children because the emphasis and expectation is as obedient children, Peter says. But you know what? We're not always obedient children, are we? We are disobedient children. And so the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines us when we are disobedient. And therefore, the whole emphasis of this discipline is for what purpose? Again, Hebrews 12, verse 9. Let me read it to you. It says these words, Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection or submission to the Father of spirits and live? Of course, it's a rhetorical question, but of course. Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of what? His holiness, his holiness. Be holy for I am holy. Christ, holiness is likeness unto Christ. Can you see the connection? That's why we choose to do this. It's not about self-righteousness. It's not about our holiness. It's all about him and being like him and walking worthy before him, having Christ formed in us. 
Let's, I want to close with one last thought. Verse 17 of our text. Peter says, For if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Do you know there was three times today in this sermon where I spoke about holiness and the fear of God was mentioned. Three times. You see, we talk about love. God so loved the world. And he, God fundamentally and primarily is love. And love needs to be a mo- a, a, the primary motivating factor of why we do what we do. Because our love for God, the Bible says uh, uh, that His commandments are not burdensome. This is our love to God, that we obey His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because when you love God, his, what He asks of us is not a burden. It's a pleasure to do His will. It's a delight to do His will. But you see, as much as love is a wonderful motivator, the fear of God is a great motivator too. Amen? And so we are told, uh, Paul says, or actually Peter says, conduct yourselves as, in your, as you are passing through your stay here, he calls it, in fear, in the fear of God. And uh, Paul the Apostle, when he wrote to Corinthians, he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And again, Paul says to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so I know we don't like to make fear a, the, the primary motivating factor, but if that's what's going to take for you to do what's right, then let fear, you know, sometimes if you're a kid, right, or you're young and you're going to break the law, you're going to say, oh, I don't want to break the law. I mean, ideally you should say, I don't want to break the law because I want to obey my mum and my dad and I love them dearly. But that's not why you do it. Sometimes it just comes down to the fact that you know if you do that, you're going to get your butt kicked. You're going to get in some serious trouble and you don't do it because of the fear of doing what's wrong. Not because of you love mum and dad enough, you know what I mean? Is you following me? Fear becomes the motivator. And so, uh, you know what? Fear is not a bad thing. God will always correct it if we, you know, there's two tensions in this. There's the love of God, there's the fear of God. And you, you know, again, you can emphasize one to the extent to, to the other, but they're both tensions. And when they're working together, they, uh, they work to the will of God. The Bible says that the, David said in Psalm 19 that the fear of the Lord is clean. It is pure. It's not wrong. I fear God. Well, that's great. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. That's what the proverb says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the fear of God, if that is going to be the motivating factor behind why we do what we, we do or don't do, then let it be so. Because the fear of God is healthy. The fear of God is clean. And so conduct yourselves in fear. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Because sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. It's a state, but it's true. We get familiar, so familiar that sometimes we, you know, we treat God as he's just the buddy. God's not just your buddy. I understand. You know, uh, uh, we have fellowship, he's our friend, and, we, and all the things, but uh, don't forget who he is. Amen. When they saw him, 
They saw him in his glory and they fell down and was dead. Because God is holy. Holy, 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 Isaiah said, is the Lord God Almighty. Woe is me. And so um, let that be a factor in our thinking before we get too familiar with God and think, oh, well, everything's okay. You know, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so I want to encourage us this morning unto holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. I said at the beginning, and I think it's been written so well, holiness, let me say it again, I'll sing it. Holiness, holiness, it's the only life that the Lord can bless. Holiness, holiness, it's the Lord's command, not the Lord's request. And I pray that that thought was say in our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. You are holy. God, you are so holy. And when we consider this truth, Lord, we realize and we thank you, Lord, that we are perfect and without blame. We are a holy nation. We are holy through Christ. But we also realize, God, that we are far from perfect. And though we are to perfect holiness, God, we are still in a place of, of transformation, Lord. And I pray that we would, we would walk worthy before you. We'd make it our aim to fully please you, not just, uh, just think that we can just do what's wrong and get away with things, Lord, because we get away with nothing. God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll of the spirit reap everlasting life. That's a principle that relates to how we live our life now, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray our minds will be girded, as Peter said. We would be sober. We would be fixed and focused and live in a manner that is acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, I pray your blessing. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you this morning.